Are you ready to take your writing to the next level? Then welcome to the Book Editor Show. Join Clark Chamberlain and Peter Turley each week as they teach you all the tips, tools, and techniques you need to move your book from manuscript to market. Visit thebookeditorshow.com for show notes, links to guests, books, and extras to make your old novel better than ever. Now, please welcome Clark Chamberlain and Peter Turley. Welcome to the Book Editor Show, brought to you today by Punch Them in the Gut, writing fiction with emotional impact. This course will show you the power of story and teach you how to engage your reader for maximum impact. Use the code in the show notes to get 50% off, but act fast. It expires July 1st. We're removing that course from Udemy, and we're going to be bringing some more to you there. So if you want to grab that, definitely do so quickly. Today on the show, we are reviewing the book Self-Editing for Writers by Renee Brown and Dave King. I'm Clark Chamberlain, and in a world plagued with poor punctuation and terrorized with terrible text messaging, one man dared to stand in defense of the suffering syntax. That man is my friend and co-host, Peter Turley. Peter, how's it going today? <laughs> you, you know these intros? <laughs> they, they kind of remind me of, you know when an actor does a warm-up? Uh huh. <laughs> it's like trying to trying to work all parts of your mouth. <laughs> that was impeccable <laughs> delivery. <laughs> Thank you. I uh, I only worked on it for two hours this morning, just going over the lines again I and again. Cut that down. Yeah, <laughs> I have. So I'm getting much better at it. <laughs> Can you do it while uh, drinking a glass of water and stuff? <laughs> oh, ooh, I've got to try that. And I could do like a ventriloquist work. <laughs> so what uh, what have you been up to this last week? Um, I've been reading a really good book. Uh huh. Yeah, self-editing fiction writers. Oh, that's so interesting. I have been reading that book as well, and I thought we should do a show on it. <laughs> yeah, well, well, me, that's why I'm here. So <laughs> <laughs> it's not just this uh, our witty repartee. <laughs> <laughs> that too. No, I hadn't. Um, I hadn't heard of this until you mentioned it to me. Um, unlike some of the others that we're going to be doing, um, and it, it's a great find. I'm really, really enjoyed reading it this week. Um, it is. It's definitely made its way up there to to one of the most useful uh, writing and editing resources I've got. Yeah, it really is, and uh, I'm excited to be able to talk about this today and uh, and share some of the things that you're going to be able to get out of this book. There's not a lot of books that I recommend that every author should have on their shelf, and really, honestly, after I got through this one, this is one of those books. It really needs to be there. Um, Oh, but before we jump into that entirely, I just want to say that I will be off for the next couple of weeks, and uh, Leslie Watts from Writership is going to be co-hosting with you. Yeah, so that should be good. Yeah, I mean, it should, you know, we'll, we'll miss you, we'll, but we'll get by. It should be professional, I'm guessing. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, fifty percent more professional. Let's tell me. <laughs> That's right. Fifty percent more professional. Fifty percent. <laughs> Don't worry. I'll I'll maintain at least half of our uh, unprofessionalism. <laughs> okay, good. Because I think that's what our viewers and listeners have come to expect. <laughs> I think so, and especially this week, we got to go live with a few technical difficulties. So, mm -hmm. you know, we, we we ramped it up this week, <laughs> <laughs> which is always good. So, um, so hopefully, uh, uh, you guys will have a really good time on the show, and uh, then I'll be back in July. So I'm going out for my my annual training with the military so we get to go spend a couple weeks out in the desert which is always fun right yeah <laughs> <laughs> so it's gonna be a long two weeks we'll miss you <laughs> yeah yeah you're gonna be like in the south of france or something <laughs> i'm guessing you won't get um 
you won't you won't be able to listen in, will you? You won't get you won't get a. <laughs> no, there will, there will not be no, any. Just wait, there, uh, just wait there, guys. I've got to watch the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got to stop shooting for a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wish I would be able to listen in. Um, definitely, there's not any kind of cellular reception out to where we're going. So, but uh, I'll be excited to see the shows when I get back. So, see how those we'll, go. We'll be thinking of you. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into this today. Um, if you can see this, my not completely blinding you out for those of you that are watching this. Uh, Self-editing for fiction writers, uh, how to edit yourself into print. And this is by Renee Brown and Dave King. And you can pick this up, uh, order it from your favorite bookstore, get it online. It has ebook form and print form. I should suggest probably picking up the print form. This is probably something you're yes, gonna want to work through. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> like you had it. <laughs> yeah. I didn't read the print form, we'll just say that. And um, <laughs> it's difficult. And as well, any any book like this should really be read with like a highlighter in hand or two, or as you, a little post-it notes like you've got though. Yeah, so. Because um, you wanna find your favorite bits, don't you? The bits that work for you and bits that, so that when you go, because it's a reference book after all, you don't want to have to fl flick through the whole thing again. You can just be like, which bit resonated with me? And, and you can see it at a glance. And you can't do that on the screen. <laughs> you cannot. <laughs> and um, I think one of the things that you're going to really find with this book when you pick it up is that uh, it's broken down. It's got uh, 12 fantastic chapters in there. But you're probably going to have one thing that's going to stand out. You're like, yeah, that is the skill I need to improve. And the great thing about this book is you're going to be able to do that. Um, I love how they work in uh, several examples in each chapter. Um, well, let me just tell you kind of what the chapters. So they, they talk about show and tell, uh, characterization and exposition, point of view, um, <clears throat> proportion, dialogue mechanics, see how it sounds, uh, interior monologue, easy beats, breaking up is easy to do, which is all about uh, uh, formatting. Uh, once is usually enough and sophistication and voice. So. There's a lot of great stuff in here, and each one of them is going to have several examples in each chapter. It has a checklist at the end of each chapter for things that you can look for, and then also exercises, which I think was really cool. Yeah, and what I liked um, about the fact that there's multiple examples is that because sometimes like, I'd read it and I'd read an example, and it wouldn't quite connect or it wouldn't quite get the the point across um, in the way that sort of I was thinking, and then. But then there'd be another example that was made that kind of explained it in a different light. Or sometimes there'd be quite a classic example from like, um, you know, like an old classic and then a more modern example, um, which I think is important because obviously writing styles change over time. And it, it did really well at, at pointing that out and saying, you know, this style, you know, you would have got away with it once and here's an example of it. But now it's better to do this. Um, and a lot of books didn't do that. And I know that uh, the last one we looked at, although that was great, um, was a bit more limited in its scope of examples compared to this book. Right, exactly. I think this is a, certainly a more thorough um, look at editing, especially editing specifically. That's one of the things that I think that uh, really is lacking uh, in the writing world today is we have so much stuff on the craft of writing, but we have a very limited amount of really good reference books on how to edit and make the work better. And this one does an excellent job, excellent job of showing this type of stuff. Um, we have several examples in here that I, we wanted to go through and just talk about in some of the different chapters and things that you can look forward to. So one of um, 
characterization and exposition. Uh, this comes along several times uh, on uh, the writership this last week. Leslie Watts and I uh, spoke about um, a, a book that had this huge section of dialogue, or not dialogue, huge section of description, you know, where it was really like um, a laundry list. And he was wearing a brown shirt and his pants had mud on them and this and his brown hair and his green eyes and his this and this. And it just kept going on and on and on. It was an entire paragraph of a character description. And so this is one of the things I think that, uh, that everyone can do better, that uh, we can put in. And I love how they have this checklist of taking a look at what you've done in the work. So um, in this checklist, I'll just read from it. And this is in the chapter characterization and exposition. Uh, look back over a scene or chapter that introduces one or more characters. How much time, if any, have you spent describing the new character's character? Are you telling us about characteristics that will later show up in dialogue and action? How about character histories? How many of your character childhoods have you developed in detail? Can some of these life stories be cut? Um, and then the other two bullet points is what information, technical details, characters, past histories, backgrounds on locations or families do your reader need in order to understand your story? At what point in the story do they need to know it? And um, how are you getting this information across to your readers? Have you given it to them all at once through a short writer to reader lecture, <laughs> which is what I was talking about from the from Writership Podcast. Um, if the exposition comes out through dialogue, is it through dialogue your characters would actually speak, even if your readers didn't have to know the information? In other words, does the dialogue exist only to put the information across? Those those checklists are, are, are just fantastic, aren't they? Because um, we, we've talked about this and we've talked about um, with you know character description, less is more. And it's it's easy to talk about it sort of, you know, on a a podcast like this but when you're going back and you're looking over and you're trying to think about these things sometimes you don't really know through what lens to view your own work and those but that checklist just gives you a, a solid framework to look back at a chapter and ask yourself those questions as you go through and kind of make it a little bit more black and white what you need to cut out and what you need to stop doing yeah, exactly. I really think, uh, especially taking a look at um, the character histories we develop, um, I think that that's really important for the author. The author needs to know all the information about the characters, where they grew up, what's happening. And of course, you're putting in a lot of time creating that. And <laughs> you feel like that it's super important. And it is important for the story, but is it important for the reader? And I think that's one of the cool questions that it asks in here is when is that important? When do they need to know it? And how are you going to deliver that information? Yeah. And, and there's a line in that, in that chapter, I think, where it says, um, in regard to characters, watch what they say and what they do. <laughs> and I just thought that that line, that was sort of great advice because it highlights the fact that we might not be aware that we are... Um, using exposition through character. Um, and we, we might not even be aware that's what we're doing, but when we go back and we look at what the character's saying and doing alone, um, then we can start to notice these things and be like, right, I need to cut that out. Um, and it just points out just how these things can slip into our writing without us, without us even noticing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, the character, I, I 
think that exposition is great when you can put it into places like dialogue and not just dropping it on top of people, but exactly, it has to sound right. You know, um, looking at how your characters speak. I just got done uh, doing an alpha read and um, that was one of the things I really noticed is how characters sounded the same. You know, they used the same kind of dialect, um, same type of words, same type of uh, length. And so even in the point where you're trying to be clever and bring in this exposition in a good way with a good dialogue, the question is, does your character actually speak that way? Would they actually take the time to say these things? Um, is it in their character? And I think that's really cool to bring that stuff forward for the, for the author when you're going through and editing this. Yeah, I mean, um, it's kind of like um, skipping a little forward here, but it, it touches on that in, in the dialogue section. Um, and, and saying, you know, is, 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 it, is it this normal for, for that character? Because sometimes I think dialogue can kind of, author voice can slip through a little too easily sometimes and kind of all the characters can sound the same. So I think that that question, you know, is, is this something that that character would usually say is, you know, something really worth thinking about every time you're looking at your dialogue. Mm -hmm. And and exactly. So that you can go back through and you can take a look at these and you can say, no, nah, you know what, that really doesn't sound like them. And then try to work out how you can put that exposition in there because there is exposition that's very important for the story. We got to understand stuff that's going on. Um, mystery is always great, but at some point, you know, we need to, del to deliver that. And um, that was another point in here, if you, you missed it, that idea about when, when do you do it? Like we have a tendency to um, overstuff the front end of a book with uh, the exposition and the information and the characterization where some of this could be left for later, middle and end of the book, even for even the, the largest surprise turnarounds. Yeah. And, um, and, and exposition definitely is important and does have its place. And, these ex and the checklists, but also the exercises that they give you to then practice applying these checklists um, really help you hone these skills. Um, and there's one part where it says, when looking at dialogue, um, is it exposition in disguise? So, you know, obviously there, there's a place for it and there's a time when you want to do it, but have you done it sneakily <laughs> without realizing that, you know, if you, if you sort of had a character say something about another character just to expose a certain fact or a certain part of the history and you might be like oh yeah I, I can just cut that right out and do it a different way do it later um and but it doesn't leave you on your own to make these decisions um you know each chapter provides a bunch of exercises at the end that you can look at um and, and practice these skills practice them um on the on the exercises and then you can go away and do it on your own work yeah, exactly. Um, so let's give you an example of this. And this is in the chapter, see how it sounds. So this is what we're talking about with exposition in dialogue. Um, so, and it says, dear, she said, I realize it seems unfair of me to tell you this now after 11 years of marriage and three children, but I'm not the woman I've led you to believe. I, you know, for myself, working uh, managing editor here at Raven International, like I get a lot of stuff that comes across my deck for desk for submissions, and I have read this. I have read this so many times. <laughs> you know, this type of uh, exposition that's really clearly exposition. Would anybody ever say that? <laughs> and and it, it takes away. It's try. It's 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 trying to be mysterious, but it 
what it actually does is completely sabotages any chance of, of reader intrigue. <laughs> exactly. And um, so this could be another way that you could do this. And it gives a couple examples. It didn't fix that one, but uh, it brings up a different way that you could talk about things without talking about them. And, it, and the first one is a bad example. Um, again, I don't know what you're thinking about going into a place like that. Are you all right? And then a new dialogue tag. I'm fine. I really am. So although that sounds pretty normal, it can be a lot better where it could be done like this. The first dialogue is, what did you think you were doing going into a place like that? Question mark. Second dialogue. I'm all right, really. And so the first version is clear enough. Um, but the second gives that little bit of misdirection. Um, doesn't have them ask the second question, you know, because your secondary character in that conversation could do a misdirection, you know, they didn't even respond to why, what are you doing in a place like that? They went with it. I'm, I'm really all right. You don't have to worry about me, you know? And so it's kind of like deflecting. And so it, it's cool. Like when you can take a look at this and how you can reshift the focus between the two characters so that it can sound like a more realistic conversation. Yeah, and, and I think one way it kind of gives of doing that is um, to, you know, asking if you could cut the attributions, you know, at all. And it says a good, a good way to, to check the strength of your dialogue is to cut the attributions entirely um, and, and then ask yourself, does the dialogue stand up on its own? Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't, then it's, it suggests that the dialogue might need rewriting. Um, and if it does, then, then that's great. Um, and and you can have kind of avoid, you know, things like ping pong in direct address. It says, you know, so I'd be like, "Hey, Clark, how are you today?" Well, Peter, I'm fine. Thanks for asking. And, <laughs> and this this back and forth to, as a way to get away with saying said Clark or or whatever, you know, it can slip into just this back and forth direct address. And it says, you know, strip it all, strip the the tags and the addresses, and then see if the dialogue stands well on its own. And if it doesn't, then the dialogue's weak, and it and it needs looking at. Exactly. And especially because once you've gotten 25% of the way through, if as a reader, if you're 25% of the way through and you can't identify the, the voice of a character by that point, then absolutely. Because I think that's where, where we have some of the biggest struggles is making sure that our characters are sounding unique without sounding um, ridiculous, like by tossing in, you know, weird phrases that they say all the time. Um, but, uh, but definitely like looking at whether or not it actually sounds like the character. Um, that was one of the problems that I was having in this last alpha read was um, not knowing who was speaking because there wasn't any dialogue tags, which is great, but the, but the voices weren't distinct enough yet. They were getting more distinct by the end, but they weren't distinct enough towards the beginning to know who was who. And um, this is a great exercise to be able to do that. And I love how they're giving this fantastic advice in a way that I had never thought about it before. I'd never thought about, Hey, what would it look like if I take out all the dialogue tags and how would it read? Yeah. And, um, and sometimes, you know, you have to read a big meaty chapter to get to a point like that, but th these chapters aren't even that big. Are they really, it, they get straight to the point, you know, that it opens, it says what prop, what the problem is. Here's an example. Here's a couple more examples. Here's your checklist. And, it, and it's, it's straight to the point. Yeah, because that's, for me, this is the nonfiction that I love. Um, 
I, I know that a lot of people like to get inside the head of the author who's writing the book and, and know about them and how they came along with this. And me, I just like to be like, get to the point how to fix my problem. You know, like I, I don't <laughs> yeah. have time. And that's, that's what this book is all about. Um, I got another example here, uh, and this is going along with, um, with reading things out loud. And we've talked a lot about reading out loud. Um, so here's the original uh, passage. Um, let's see. Let me make sure. I'm sorry. Oh no, it was this one from a from a, a workshop dialogue that they were doing, and this is a submission that was sent into them. Uh, I wasn't expecting you until tomorrow, Anne said. I thought it would be nice to drop in, Stan. I just got in five minutes ago. I'm fixing myself something to eat, and I'm going to get some rest. So what you're telling me is that I'm not wanted, right? Yes. And so it's very clear in here. Um, you know, you, you've got only two characters, so it's easy to tell who's speaking. Um, but it's clear how they're feeling. But I love how they change this up. And it's very small changes, but it has much more impact. And so this is how they changed it. <clears throat> I wasn't expecting you until tomorrow, Anne said. I just thought it would be nice to drop in, that's all. Stan, I just got in five minutes ago myself. All I want to do is fix something to eat and get some rest. Are you trying to tell me I'm not wanted? You got it. And can you hear the difference on that and how that's improved between the two? I mean, it's it's astounding, isn't it? And it it's only through applying like little tiny things and mm -hmm. everything's snappier. It's you know, it's less wooden. Um and it more importantly, it achieves what I think the, the author's trying to achieve in the first place. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to jump to the, the checklist in this um, for see how it sounds because I think they've got some really good ideas in here for dialogue. Because I know that um, that's one that a lot of people struggle with. You know, they feel like, hey, I write terrible dialogue. It's never what I want it to be. So here's some really great tips, um, things to look for in this checklist. First bullet point. First, read your dialogue aloud. Read your narration out loud for that matter. At some point or another, you should read aloud every word you write. Second bullet point, as you read, be on the lookout for places where you are tempted to change the wording. Give in to this temptation whenever you can. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, third bullet point, how smooth and polished is your dialogue? Could you use more contractions, more sentence fragments, more run-on sentences? Uh, fourth bullet point, is your stiff dialogue really exposition in disguise? Um, fifth, how well do your characters understand one another? Do they ever mislead one another or outright lie? Uh, how about dialect? Are you using a lot of unusual spellings or other uh, lexical tricks? If you rewrite your dialect with standard spellings, does it still read like dialect? Yeah, Which, I know there's, there was one bit where it says, um, <clears throat> you know, if a, a shortcut to sort of make dialogue sound a little bit more like speech is to use contractions. Um, mm -hmm. And it, you know, it's it's a surefire way to immediately make your dialogue less formal because, and I don't I don't know why, and I've been guilty of it myself in the past, is to sort of when writing dialogue to suddenly make it really formal, <laughs> you know, like okay. the the most formal sort of speech, um, just because someone's speaking. Whereas mm -hmm. in reality, we don't speak like that like that at all. Obviously, we don't want to be writing dialogue that's quite as informal as we do speak because there'd be lots of kind of like ums and ahs and uh, things like that. Okay. But, you know, just try out, look at a dialogue and just add a few contractions and see if, see if it makes it feel a bit more real. Mm -hmm. And uh, along with that, you know, is that we, 
how we speak. If you listen to the show, <laughs> you're going to hear us do a lot of unsaws, pauses, going back and forth and things, uh, small, small talk. And so all that is real. But when you put it into work, uh, to your writing, it doesn't sound real. I remember uh, being in a writer's workshop. This was one of my first ones that I ever did. It was a short story workshop. And I put in this, what I thought was this really powerful argument that these two people had. I took it from my own life. These are real world words that people were saying. And it, they, they're like, it doesn't sound real. It's like, but it is real. Like, cause this is actually what really happened. And so <laughs> it's getting to that point where you can make something sound real, even though it's really artificial because it's not how the way we normally speak, but it's how it sounds like we want it to sound when we speak. Yeah. Uh, cause if you look at, um, if you look at the transcriptions of, of the show, you know, where um, basically, obviously the whole show is like typed out um, in text. It's really weird. <laughs> you know, it, it, it makes for quite a strange um, read, you know, like yeah. one person will say something and then they'll be like, yeah, yeah. And then say something. And, and, and it, it's, when if you compare that to dialogue, you know, it's very jilted, isn't it? It's very, um, you know, it doesn't, it like there's a lot of flowing with not as much happening. I mean, obviously, it's all happening on the show. I don't mean to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Every you know, word we speak is golden truth, yes, Peter. It is. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, maybe maybe have a look at them because you know, I on, I th I found that like really interesting uh, looking back across those. I do too. You know, is it, and it's it's a great way to do this. There was another one in if here. We, if we could turn it into dialogue, add a few dialogue tags, and <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, there was one more with uh, with contractions, and that's also sentence fra fragments and run on sentences. And um, sometimes we can break the grammar rules inside our dialogue to make it sound more like how we would normally speak. But it should be used in um, in limited ways. It shouldn't be every single sentence should be like that. Um, but it's something that you can you can look at. And I think along your lines, you know, like all of a sudden you're writing dialogue and you're making it all formal. I think it's because we're trained. We're trained when we sit down in front of a computer and we're typing up a paper that we need to be as formal as possible in that paper, and we need to step back from that and make sure that we are sounding normal. So, yeah, and and also, I mean, moving on, I think perhaps more from the fundamentals, um, you know, using dialogue as a, a tool for increasing the tension uh, within within the novel, and I, th I think it talks about, um, you know, removing some beats. So you know, um, trying to take out the bits in between that might portray an action so someone says something and then they walk over to the kitchen sink and then they say something else and you know taking out those unnecessary movements and distilling it to just the dialogue to really amp up the tension of the scene um, and and again you know some great examples in that section to show you just how to do that and along with any one of these things understand that uh, we your work needs to have a good rhythm to it a good flow and Having that work, having that amped up um, feeling of tension because of the shortened dialogue works because you're not doing it in every single chapter. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> every character that, that meet each other, they're kind of just this like dead distilled immediate back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Every scene's tense. <laughs> 
So, and that's really one of the uh, techniques that you're going to have to develop over time is learning. Well, if I want this to be really punched up, it means I can only use it X amount of times because it's going to be overused. If it's overused, then it's diluted and it doesn't have the same kind of strength. It's like um, in the army and all, and uh, I always like to keep these shows clean as possible language wise. Uh, in the army, I have my army speak, you know, I'm dropping F bombs and things like that all over the place. Um, but really, honestly, like I don't use them as much as some other guys use them. Some guys use them like three or four times in a sentence and it loses any kind of meaning. You know, I use them as kind of jokes to punctuate um, emphasis because I don't say it a lot. And so it makes it more funny when I do say it. And so um, that's what it's all about is finding the right spot to put something in that you haven't used a lot before. Yeah, it like retains its power, isn't it? I mean, like say you you'd then have to come out with something even like worse to to kind of get like that shock factor mm-hmm. and it's the same in writing where you know if if you have if you write dialogue this way or you you every every scene's really tense then or there's or even action say you have a lot of action to then get the heightened response from the reader heightened emotional response you've got to take you've got to amp it up even more you know, because you've kind of set the norm quite high already, um, which is obviously why we have we, it's preferential to have like fluctuations in tension and action. You know, you know, if you did that, if you wrote like that, you know, who who would who would you be writing like? <laughs> would there be a movie type producer guy, so, Michael something? <laughs> escapes me, you know. Escapes I, me. I, yeah. I, I, Something about a, a ocean or a, a sea. No, it's a bay. Uh, maybe it's a Michael Bay. <laughs> it's definitely no one we'd 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 talk we, about constantly in the show. It doesn't bother us at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always waiting for the cease and desist notice from his lawyers to come along. So, <laughs> um, moving on to the uh, chapter seven. We're not doing these chapter by chapter, but I just picking the ones I thought were kind of interesting, and maybe it's because stuff that I'm working on right now. Um, that, uh, that it definitely got to me a little bit more. And chapter seven talks about uh, interior monologue. And um, the, it's one of those things that makes writing so unique. I mean, you can't have, or you very rarely see in a movie, interior monologue. You know, you don't get that, what's actually happening inside the head. And uh, like it described in here, you know, if they, they write that out, they're going to have the actor, um, you know, you've got to have a really good actor to be able to portray that and to show that. And certainly we've talked a lot about show before, you know, show don't tell and, and amping that up. And, and you know, this is not about just describing something, um, but it gives you an opportunity to jump inside the character's head and what they're thinking. So here's one, though. Uh, this is a bad example. It says, Mike, why are you here? She asked this in what she hoped sounded like a neutral and reasonable tone. She knew how close she was to losing her defenses and made a special effort to pull back and regard Mike with professional distance. I need your help, he said. Why come to me? After all, he knew she hated him. Because I trust you. Laura shook her head and pulled a notepad from the top drawer of her desk. I'll give you the names of three excellent therapists, she said, head buried in the paper, and you can choose the one you feel most comfortable with. Not that kind of help. His voice was commanding and demanding simultaneously. No, this is in the nature of police work. Laura felt herself become angry at him and his intrusion into her life. The sooner he left, the better. Get to the point, Mike. 
So yes, we get inside our head, but what this is doing is causing these stops, these interruptions. And if you were to read page after page after page of this, a reader is going to disconnect. And um, so having this in, again, you know, it's, it's not all the time. It can be very powerful. But when it's there all the time, all of a sudden that dialogue becomes very stop, stop, stop. And it just has no more flow to it. Yeah, and you can even hear a few um, tell tells slipping across um, in that dialogue. You know, like she um, she felt angry, and you know, you that that's something that would be way more interesting to see than it is to just be told. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I wish they would have done a fix on that one. Um, they didn't on this one. They although they do go on to talk about the constant interruptions in the monologue, um, in the interior monologue. And, but it's such an interesting thing that can happen. And uh, sometimes I forget, you know, sometimes I forget about how powerful the internal monologue can be because it is something that's completely and totally unique to writing a book and it should be taken advantage of when possible. Um, I want to jump to the checklists on this one. I mean, and... on, on the, that note, like on the interior monologue, again, like it, it, there was a few things that I'd never considered as well. And in terms of um, narrative distance, you know, and, and kind of like, are you using the right monologue for the for the narration of your story? And that's not something that, you know, that I'd considered much in the past. And, you know, um, you know, it, are you using italics? Are you adding, you know, thinker attributions? Um, are you, you know, is your narrative voice far away, but then you're, you're there's kind of like... Um, a disparity between that and the way that the interior monologue sounds and you know this the book explains it far better than i'm going to do justice now but that's something i'd never thought of and i think this chapter alone makes the book worth buying <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. interior monologues are hard to get right i think no peter thought <laughs> um you know and it really can like um that um, be a very significant choice in what you're writing. You know, first person point of view, you should already be pretty close. Um, we already have that intimacy. But when we move over to third person, um, we have more perspective and we lose some of that intimacy. And so, you know, bringing in this internal monologue in, especially in the third person point of view, can bring back some of that intimacy. But yeah, how do you do it? You know, um, how, how distant do you still want to be? Is the narration an actual narrator? Like these are just questions that you need to ask yourself um, as you're putting this together. And hopefully you're asking yourself this before you started writing it. But you know, if it's a, your manuscript is done and you're taking back and looking at it, it might not have been something you even considered before. Yeah. And again, I mean, you know, if you've got a particular style and it works and it's working well, then that's fine. And and like a lot of the the books and suggestions, that by no means what you have to do. But they're just great for that divergent thinking. So getting you into a mode of asking questions about your own work and, and looking at things in a, in a fresh angle, which is what's so important when it comes to self-editing, is being able to look at your own work with a fresh mind because that's the hardest thing to achieve. Um, and, and getting into that practice so that, as we've said before, you can send it away and it requires less editing afterwards um, you know, the more you can you can ask these questions, the better. 
Yeah. And here's uh, one more example of this. And I like how they just keep breaking this down. Um, depending on how close you are with the uh, with the point of view character and the intimacy with the reader. And so the first one, had he killed her? Or had he meant to kill her? Not likely, he thought. Had he meant to kill her? Not likely. Had he meant to kill her, he thought? Had he meant to kill her? And see how each one of those, whether we have, um, each one of those brings a different distance to it. When we have that last one, had he meant to kill her, that's the most intimate one because it doesn't even require tossing in a tag or anything at the end there. We know we're in the, the mind of the of that particular character's point of view. Yeah, that's that's cl that's the closest to direct thought mm -hmm. out of the bunch of them. Um, the exercises in these are really cool because it gives you the possibility of going through and rewriting the scene um, and to fix it. And then, of course, in the back of the book, it has uh, how they fixed it. And so you can take a look to see what you've done versus what they've done. Um, we've got one more little section to go through here um, before we're out of time. And this is from uh, the chapter Breaking Up is easy to do. We've talked about this several times in, uh, in different uh, episodes before, but the idea, and sometimes you don't get this as much in an ebook, but you definitely get it in a print book form, is how does it look on paper? You know, and um, when you turn that page and you've got an entire huge paragraph and it's a one single paragraph on the page, that can feel really daunting and it's difficult for the reader to want to climb that Mount Everest <laughs> to get through the next thing. And so this has a very good series of exercises to do and to look at for, um, for breaking up not only like paragraphs, but also chapters and scenes. And we'll go through the checklist here and we can talk about this. The first one is flip through your manuscript without even reading it. Just notice the white space, meaning that you're going to need to probably print this off so, so you can get a really good look at it. Um, just notice the white space. How much of it is there? Do you have any paragraphs that go on as much as a page length? A lot of the paragraphs that run longer than a half page. If one of your scenes seems to drag, try paragraphing a little more often. Um, cause that's, that is all about, um, um, shoot rhythm and, and pacing. It's all about pacing there. Um, do you have scenes? With no longer paragraphs, remember what you're after is the right balance. Have your characters made little speeches to one another? Um, if you're writing a novel, are all your scenes or chapters exactly the same length? I love that bit. Have your characters made little speeches to one another? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think another um, good like point from there is... Um, when you go into because obviously the more white space the easier it is to read isn't it because i guess you know if you think of like children's books a lot of white space uh classic english literature hardly any white space <laughs> and, you know like the, and but but now obviously it's about maintaining reader engagement you know the book being more like easy to read um but one tip it says is as well as breaking up paragraph, paragraphs, paragraphs, don't know what one of those is. Because <laughs> <laughs> obviously paragraphs as well, it's not an essay and different rules kind of apply. You know, you can be, you can make more stylistic choices with fiction. Um, but also it says to have dialogue stand on its own, um, which also adds more impact to the dialogue, um, but also increases white space. It's just a, a little tool for the toolbox. So for example, Right at the end of the chapter, it shows like, you know, the, uh, the chapter ends with a, a character delivering some news. Um, 
so the last line is just that dialogue, like four or five four or five words standing on its own, no tags, no explanation, just the 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 bomb of the revelation. But having dialogue stand on its own in this this little way throughout um, is a great way to to break up paragraphs further and to add in more white space and to to really narrow the focus on that line because I think that's why they say um, that said is the best dialogue tag because we're so used to seeing it it almost becomes invisible to the reader. Whereas when obviously someone screams something or shouts, it kind of draws our attention to the tag. So by removing the tag and removing everything from around the dialogue and adding white space, you know, it's easy to read and the words themselves stand on their own with a little more impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, this also goes back to uh, rewarding your reader, and especially in the print version, uh, uh, specifically here. Uh, a test we did a few years ago with another day, another name, is that uh, instead of it, it could have come in, I think at um, three hundred and sixty pages is what uh, on a um, eight by five size book, and so instead of doing that, <laughs> we added an extra hundred pages to the book made the font just a little bit larger, made sure we had a little bit more paragraph breaks, a little bit more white space. And so it was a reward for how fast the reader turned those pages to get to the next part. And it made a feeling of reward as they went through it. And the same thing can be said with doing it this way with your white space. Um, Because it's just, it's making it easier to read. (laughs) And the faster a person reads, the better they feel about themselves and everything. I mean, it's like when you pick up uh, Atlas Shrugged and you get your magnifying glass out so you can read the book through a page. You're like, oh, I got through a page. I'm done for the day. But, but what if in a, in, a, you know, in a half hour period, they can get through twice as many pages as they normally would? Like, think of the encouragement there. They're, they're, the idea of a page turner. I mean, that's what it is right there. And um, so those of you who are in the self-publishing, you know, who are doing your own, you're getting the print book ready, please don't make your choice for how you do the layout based on the cost of the print of the book. <laughs> make the choice based on how readable the book is. If it's going to cost an extra 50 cents to print the book, I'm sorry you're losing that extra 50 cents, but you're going to gain more readership if the book is easy to read. That's great advice. And as well, something something I'd never really thought of there with that idea of um, reward, you know, from getting through more pages and, you know, that's, that's really interesting and profound as well. <laughs> that's our profound moment for this one. And that was not in here. That's something we did first. So, you know. <laughs> um, but there he is. Uh, um, just to sum this up, um, I really, I love this book. This is a fantastic book. Again, it's self-editing for fiction writers uh, by Renee Brown and Dave King. I would definitely recommend that you grab a copy of this at whatever stage you're at. If you're just starting to write, it's going to give you a lot of good ideas on how to put stuff together. If you're at that manuscript stage, it's going to be awesome for you to go through and work on your manuscript there. Yeah, definitely a, definitely a must-have on the shelf, I would say. Or the screen, if you have to. Or the, you know, <laughs> yeah. Preferably the shelf. <laughs> and, and, and honestly, um, you're going to probably get it cheaper in paperback because they're already into the second edition, so you're going to be able to find used ones. Um, I believe the ebook is almost thirteen dollars for the ebook version. So pick it up, get it ordered, use it, love it, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you have anything else that you want to add here? 
No, I was going to go into a little bit more of the. Uh... We've got we've got a few more minutes. Okay, well, I'll touch on this last point because this okay. this is one more great point that I really took from it, um, that I think is worth remem remembering. And there's a chapter on um, making your writing more sophisticated, mm. um, and it's the bit where it says, you know, if you use actions weekly. Um, do you remember the chapter? So it says, um, as she took off her gloves, um, she said this or whatever. Um, or taking off her gloves, she said this. So, you know, adding the ing or the as. Um, and it just says that a lot of, um, you know, a lot of publishers and a lot of editors will see that as, as, as weak writing. Um, and a, a quick way to kind of trim that up and improve that is to, you know, look to where you've used an action as a dependent clause um, and, and try and have the action stand on its own. So, you know, she takes off her gloves as opposed, and, and then that stands on its own and then she says what she says, as opposed to as she takes off her gloves, she, because you're kind of skipping over the, the actions and making it a bit more passive. But I just wanted to point that out because, I mean, some of these points you, you might have heard before, but it does, it does give you some really technical um, ways to improve your writing as well. You know, if you want to go to that level and you want to start thinking about, you know, sentence clauses and, you know, passive verbs, then that is in there as well. Even though the, the chapters are short, you know, it's, it is useful on a, on a microscopic level like that also. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good one to end on because again, it, pick up the book and you really will enjoy this. It's going to help you. It might make you pull your hair out at some points. <laughs> so, cause you know, um, there's going to be stuff that's going to call into question, you know, how you've been writing and, and that's okay because this is a lifelong process and continually moving forward. No one, even Stephen King is at a perfected level of being, you know, God of writing type of thing. So just don't, don't hold yourself against anyone else. This is all just against you and just make yourself a better writer with it. So. Yeah. And you, you know, you don't need to sort of master all these. And, you know, I just wanted to kind of touch on that last, chapter because just to show how comprehensive this book is you know so you know try not to read it and with holding the standard of yourself to master all this stuff straight away you know maybe pick the thing that you feel your, your weakest at or needs the most work and just go with that and, and use it for that for now you know it's a very comprehensive book and it's not important to kind of you know get it all on the first read either yeah exactly so because you're going to have it for a long time it's going to be a good reference for you um, okay, wrapping up the show. If you like the show, please leave us a review on iTunes or Plus on Google or a like on YouTube. And if you're an editor who'd like to be a guest on the show, stop by thebookeditorshow.com and drop us an email. I'm Clark Chamberlain. For, for my co-host, Peter Turley, keep writing, keep learning, and build a better book. Thank you for listening, and come back next week for more. Please visit thebookeditorshow.com for show notes, links to guests, books and extras, and for information on how to be a guest on the show.